In my transition season, there was a quote that stood out to me, and it meant a lot to me at the time. And it was that there are friends for seasons, there are friends for reasons, and there are friends for a lifetime. But the conversation that we are about to have on this episode of the Life After Ministry podcast really took that quote and blew it out of the water. Yeah, there were so many jewels in this conversation. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me and actually brought me some personal healing over the context of the conversation was um, one thing that's common, I know, in our transition story and what we hear from a lot of pastors, pastors' wives, and families transitioning out is the loss of relationship and friendship that happens in a pastoral transition where the people that you've worked alongside, grown a ministry with, um, that you would expect would be would remain faithful friends, most of them disappear. And for most of us, we're left with just a few that are able to walk with us through the the darkness uh, sometimes of that transition. And over the course of this conversation, I really was able to uh, grasp the framework, I think is the best way to say it, for why that happens relationally in transition. Um, and understanding that framework uh, the dynamics that exist within certain relationships uh, and why they change when something hard and heavy happens actually uh, really spoke to my heart. And um, as I said in the in the podcast, like I think I'm actually able to release some of my own bitterness and frustration and hurt um, towards a few people over the course of our transition now understanding that understanding why why things happen the way that they did. If you've ever gone wine tasting, then you could just have a, a glass of wine. You could taste it and say, oh, I like it. I didn't like it. That was good. But if you've ever had an experience with a sommelier, right? It's the person who knows all of this stuff about it. And they'll say, do you taste how it's fruit forward? And it, as it washes over your palate, they give you all of these words and they'll say it's peppery or jammy or, you know, there's essence of apricot. And vanilla. I never, right. <laughs> vanilla notes. And I, I never really, but you, you hear some of that and you, and you start to taste things different and it puts words to the experience. And I'd say that overall, this conversation with Brian James and Michelle McMahon from Church Wellco gave words to something that we've experienced. And I know that if we've experienced it, then those of you who are listening right now will have much to take. They are phenomenal and we're so blessed and think that you will be blessed by this conversation as well. Yeah, it's a must listen. If you've been through transition and it was hard, if you're in transition or anticipating going into it, it's going to give you a great framework for navigating the relational aspect of pastoral transitions. So listen to this episode. This is Life After Ministry. Hey, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. We are here with Brian James and Michelle McMahon, all the way from Kansas City, Missouri. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Glad to be here. And not only am I here with you, but I'm also here with my wife, Marilee. Marilee. Hello. There she is. Uh, so good to be with you guys. Um, we're here because we have transition stories and life is full of transitions. Um, some of them good, some of them necessary, some of them hard, some of them freeing. And you too, both of you have had experiences, not only just individually as a couple, but th there's a lot going on. Give us a little bit of your entrance, your story going into ministry. Uh, so I, I grew up on the mission field. And so I think my whole life has been, I say, like discipleship oriented or discipleship adjacent in ministry spaces and context. Um, we met um, in Seattle where we we're going to college um, together. And uh, and I, at that point, I, I thought I was going to education, starting to be a teacher. Um, I met her and she had a very clear calling to be a pastor. Yeah sophomore year of college. And so then I was pursuing that. And then he jumped into a church uh, serving in a youth group and it just seemed to be the right fit. And we went and started apprenticing um, under that youth minister. And yeah, I made a really great marriage decision. Our first year of marriage where wonderful. I turned down a full-time teaching job to become a volunteer youth pastor. Oh, that's uh, which is that sounds fun. Not, not my recommended way to enter into marriage. And yet it's been part of 
part of the journey that we have been on together. And so we, yeah, we were in youth ministry um, together for a few years. Um, I hit a spot where God made it pretty clear I was really good at ministry, but sucked at life. Um, and just had some things as a husband and a man that I needed to get right. And so um, that was my first exit from ministry. Uh, so I, I spent a couple of years driving a delivery truck, getting into therapy, getting some deep places in my own darkness, um, reorder, reordered and reorganized um, while she continued uh, in youth ministry. Yeah. So serving that capacity, growing, um, it looked like I was going to then take over um, that whole next gen kind of um, ministry space, but then it became clear that I probably wasn't because of the gender that I hold. Um, and the, I wasn't as charismatic as I needed to be to fulfill that role in their perspective. And so, um, the Lord said, okay, then go kind of like an Abram call, like go. We're like, well, where he goes, I'll show you. So I resigned. Um, we spent packed up everything, spent three months living in some, our friend's house, while we waited and the Lord just said Southern California and we're like, okay. So we moved down. He had, he got transferred in his job. And a week later after we got there, I got hired by a church um, in our denomination to be a youth pastor of a, a large church. Our, our tagline in life is we're crazy, but we're not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and so we do some wild things, but we just think about it and make some wise decisions within the wildness. I like that. So both of you, though, have have had your own personal transitions out of ministry. So you've done it and, and walked through that experience personally, but then you've also had to do that and walk through that transition for your spouse. Um, how, how were those experiences different for you? And maybe even just what are, what are some steps along the way that were like, this is what I needed, and then this is also what I needed to give that may have been different. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's a really interesting question because I think um, like the transition for that first time I stepped out of ministry, coming out of youth ministry and went into therapy, that was kind of like my, that was the deep emotional agony and pain place. And then re-entered ministry alongside and her transition out was after senior pastoring a church mm-hmm. um, that was really painful. So I, those are actually, I don't know that we've even parallel. That's a great question because I think the, what it was like for you when I was deep in misery and agony and pain while you were still walking in ministry. Yeah. And then for well, me, yeah. That first context where you stepped out, we actually had a, there's quite a few people that were supportive for you mm-hmm. in that space. And so I was able to continue in ministry and it wasn't a crossover so much. And we were able to um, work through what that looked like and support one another through it. Um, and then in my transition, after I was senior pastoring, there was very little support. Yeah. And so um, a lot fell more on him um, through that journey. So maybe we'll get there in, in our more conversation here. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's keep I, I am curious. Ha- have oh. all of your transitions happened at different times? Like you transitioned, then you transitioned. It wasn't simultaneous exit at the same time or? Well, um, so after youth pastoring in California for two years, um, that transition, we moved from one place to another in Southern California. Um, So that's where we did that together. Mm -hmm. And he started grad school while I was senior pastoring. Um, And so he worked alongside me and we did ministry together. I just had the title. Um, It was kind of necessary because He's very charismatic and I'm can be, but if in a woman being in senior leadership, he's like, I'm just going to take a step back. So then everyone is very clear that you are um, the senior pastor here. So we've navigated through those different dynamics throughout our story, um, but done ministry together. So that is a transition we did do together. Mm-hmm. And then when we close, when we shut down the church and then, uh, I mean, that that was probably the most painful of the transition. I mean, all of the transitions were painful until our very last one, where actually we transitioned out of like organized, paid, vocational ministry in mm-hmm. a church context. Altogether. All of them were painful. Um, that last one, I mean, you, Michelle came out of um, the closing of the church, meeting all the criteria for PTSD um, in that spot. And mm-hmm. uh, so that, that was... Uh, and, and like you said, that was one where there was no support. And that that was really a spot for me that exposed the absence of places to talk about pain and darkness within the context of church, uh, which is the laid the foundation for what I'm doing now with Church Welco is creating some of those spaces. But at, at the time, there was just 
nothing. Actually, the advice that we were given when we closed the church was, why, do, why don't you just go hang out in the back of the local mega church and just be anonymous for a while? Mm-hmm. And it, it for us was like the deep pain was being unknown in ministry and wanting deep community and deep relationship. And part of the reason of the closing of the church was there was just a, a relational atrophy that had occurred over the years within the culture. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't relational depth to move into. There wasn't a, a, a life in that sense. And so the idea of like leaving that and then go being lonely by ourselves in anonymity was like, that sounds like terrible advice. And so it was actually for that reason that that's why we planted um, a, a house church just to be an intentional healing community of going, we, we need people to heal with, um, to follow Jesus with. Yeah. And what does that look like to intentionally organize around, <laughs> around the pain? Not, not to like to center the pain in the sense of like what we value the most is the pain. What we value the most is healing and life and growth and through that. And yet there's periods and places where we have to orient around the presence of it. Yeah, but also being attentive to the nuance of what pain we're holding. So like the first six months of this church, church, house church, church plant, um, I think you led more the discussion Mm -hmm. of going like, okay, what are we calling ourselves? Are we a church? Are we a community? Are we a family? Okay. People have triggers to the word family. Okay. Are we sisters and brothers? Are are we aunts and uncles? Like, how do we structure? Who are we? Um, Just to be able to create an open space for processing. And so allowing even the definitions of those things, we're able to um, initiate a healing process and going, oh, I bet every one of us will be triggered almost every single week. But are we able to actually talk through that together as a community instead of just set it aside? So it was it was a beautiful space to dialogue together um, than having like one on one kind of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was a gift to us too to be able to find and experience healing within a construct of the church. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a temptation that moment where where you just get get beat up and it's like, let's just step away altogether and we won't even play around with the concepts of church. But there was something like we just have a deep belief in what is possible in the church and through the relationships. Um, of what is there, regardless of how it looks and how it is expressed and how organizational dynamics make a mess in so many spaces. And so it actually became a real gift to us to say, um, can we heal in the context of a church? Um, And we're able to walk through that with people and experience some really deep healing that preceded our transition to say, hey, actually, maybe pastoring a community isn't the best expression of our gifts. Yeah. But but for that healing to occur before we ask that question and wrestled with that really allows us to sit where we are with a an ongoing hopefulness of even what continues to be possible within the church, even in light of all the pain that it caused. Did you find that that community attracted other people that had had her church hurt and were looking for a different experience than what they had found in sort of corporate organized church? Yeah, through the two years that were plus two years plus um, that we were guiding that um, house church, there were people that would come in for a couple months, then leave the people. But there was a core of about 12 to 15 people um, who we were there every single week. And then there were people who those people, their friends who were hurt, who actually were serving in ministry in other places, they would come just to be like, hey, this is a safe place where I can share all of this stuff and I don't have to show up. I don't have to perform. I don't have to be anything else than who I am raw, like just real. And so um, it created a safe place for people who actually were already in ministry um, to come and just be part of, they would say small group, but it didn't really matter what anyone called us. We just, we existed. So. I have so many questions. Um, here's, here's, here's my first thought um, is Michelle. One, one thing that we talk about and we, we say is that if you've seen a thousand transitions in the church, then you've seen a thousand transitions. There's really no two that are alike and everybody has a different story when it comes to it. But uh, Michelle, you're, you're one of the first people that we've had on the podcast who is a female in ministry in pastoral ministry, senior pastor. And so we're not here to, to argue the, cause that is a, not a winning argument on any point, which is phenomenal right now to be in that place of not having to argue that out. It's fantastic. Um, but what is it like for you, um, to be female, to be leading a church and then to come out of that? Um, what, what's unique about that experience? 
Well, I was a 27-year-old white woman, one of two white women in this church that I took over of about 120 people. Um, So it was a very multicultural context. Um, I was thrown into the deep end. So I actually, coming out of youth pastoring, I didn't desire to be a senior pastor. I was like, can I be an associate pastor? Can I be an executive pastor? Can I, because my gifting is really about formation of small groups, formation of deep community. Um, And I can lead worship, I can preach, but those were not like my top skills. Um, And so um, I was thrown into this space and um, learned a lot of lessons. Um, Some people were so excited to have a, a female senior pastor. Some were very not excited and the first week they, I came was the last week they were there. So it was complicated, but I just felt like the Lord said yes, and I did it. And um, do I want to be a senior pastor again? No, <laughs> I don't want right. to. I want to do what I'm doing now, but I have other female lead pastors that I am friends with that support um, throughout their stories and their journey. Some of them lead solo, some of them lead co- co-pastoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just believe that whatever the Lord gives us as gifts um, we're to use as he calls us to do so. Amen to that. And so yeah. you, you, you both had to create this safe place that took place outside of what should have been the safe place, which is the church. Um, mm-hmm. is, is what you created, because it sounds like it was helpful and healing, but is what you created, is that possible to do in the church? Or can this only exist outside of it? Is uh-huh. that a loaded question or what? Man, well, I want to answer no, the question. No, okay. I, let's go around. <laughs> circle the table here. <laughs> I was gonna, I, because I, I think it is because po- I don't know that it's quite the right question. Like I, I think it is possible for it to be within the church. I think almost sometimes when that question gets asked, it's almost asked like, "Can this be the expression of the church? Like, can a church be this?" And that question pulls a little bit more. If you have an organization. Like if church is, is organized and there's a, a structure, um, I don't know that that can be what the church is if the church is also an organization, because then you pull in power dynamics and hierarchy and jobs and roles. Like part of the reason we were able to create the context where is no one got paid. So no one's jobs are on the line. And so yeah. anytime you mix power dynamics and vulnerability, it gets really, really iffy. Uh, this is something I work with organizations all the time. We're like, let's create our own safe spaces for our people. I'm going, yeah, but if the person you're being vulnerable with has the power to fire you, yeah, there's a limit to how vulnerable you're actually able to be. And so theoretically, can this exist within the church? Oh, 100%. We've, that, that healing community that we did, we have had that in every ministry context that we've been. We call it like our family night or our micro community within the larger context. And so you can create micro communities within the larger community that function in that way. I think in order we never, to... We never organized it. We just did it and didn't tell anyone. And they're like, wait, what are you doing that night? I'm like, that's just our own community where we're getting filled up. And so if... I mean, we were told early in ministry, it's your job to make sure that you stay healthy. It's your job to make sure you have friends. It's your job to to be sustainable. And so we just did that throughout our whole story. I think what... Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. No, question. Okay. I I was just... Well, and maybe it's more of a comment, but I just think one thing that we've been challenged with... So since we left the church where Matt was pastoring, we haven't really gotten connected into like a traditional sort of American Western church. We've tried a few. We also moved in the middle of COVID. So things were weird. And But I think that one thing that we've been really challenged to do is to sort of redefine like what church actually is and to expand the definition beyond just sitting in a church on Sunday and, you know, sort of the the normal way that church is done here in the West and um, I think one thing that we found so much beauty in is like the church is really any place that two or more people are gathered in the name of Jesus. And so church happens, you know, at our son's high school around his track and cross country team when they sit down to do a Bible study. It's having people over for dinner and sitting around the table and, and talking and communing and being together and focusing on the Lord and what he's doing in our lives. Like, And it, it sounds like you guys just naturally within yourself understood that you had to create that kind of community, that the answer wasn't to walk away from church altogether, but to create something that didn't exist in the spaces that, that you already were in. And I I love that. I think it's, it's beautiful. 
Yeah. Well, and that, that, I mean, the language that we use with our kids when we talk about church mm-hmm. um, is that we meet with the church family at the church house because we're part of a local church here in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, what you were just saying is like that. I mean, I, I grew up on the mission field where church was like eight missionaries in my living room on Sunday trying to figure out how to survive. Right. Um, and we get together and we go, where are we at and how do we do life? And then we go back out and keep going. So like that very strongly influenced my concept of what church is or isn't, which, which is why to that, not to your question, like, can it be the church? I, I would say it is the church, but also create some friction with, with the dominant expression of church organizationally um, in, in the context in which we're living and operating. I mean, thinking about like our house church, there was something about, there was complete autonomy for every single person that walked through that door. Like they could, like, there's so many times where one individual, she was struggling and she was going through her own therapy journey where um, we were meeting in our living room and something happened that she got triggered and like, she just ran to one of the bedrooms and disappeared for 30 minutes and came back 30 minutes later. And we're like, are you all right? Like, do you want to talk about it with us? Or, and she'd be like, no, or yes, I do. And it, everyone had complete autonomy to leave, to go, to come, to share, to not share, um, And I think that might be really hard to recreate within like an organizational church structure um, to be like, hey, we're going to do these small groups. We're going to do these micro micro communities or micro churches, whatever terminology you want to use, because if it's not organic and people have the autonomy to come and go, if we're trying to organize it so much, um, I think that will limit the ability of um, where they can go in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you've come out of ministry vocationally in the church, and then you're sitting there on what we would call day one, scratching your your heads and and trying to say, what are we going to do now? How do you figure that process out when really like you guys met and were like in ministry from the very, very beginning in the church, so much a part of not just you individually, but you as a couple, and this is our our ethos. How do we, how do we figure out what is next, um, from that moment to where you're at today, what's that process like? Help us unpack that. Well, he was in the journey of um, graduate school to become a a marriage and family therapist. So he still had um, a semester left when it was day one for us out of um, senior pastoring. And so I started, I went back to Starbucks after and worked, um, got health insurance for us. Um, We knew that not only did he have to graduate, but to get his licensure hours to become licensed. So we knew that we had a couple more years in California. Um, So I worked there and worked my way up and Starbucks became my ministry um, while we were doing house church. Um, And so we continued to do house church and work in the the local community, um, get to know people. Everyone at Super King knew my name. Um, That was the grocery store. Like this was you know, we just lived incarnationally in that space and going, God will guide us through this and knowing that we probably weren't going to stay there forever, but we had the next couple of years and so we just took one day at a time. Michelle, did you stop being a pastor at Starbucks? Was there a moment where you, or did you carry that title or that, that kind of posture with you as you went? Uh, I didn't ever told anyone that I was a pastor. It was so throughout my journey, I worked at Starbucks for four and a half years Um, from like 2017 through 2020. And I never told people that I was a pastor and um, so many people within LGBTQ communities, um, so many people in different transitional spaces. um, I was hearing their story. They were telling me um, who they are and just accepting them and loving them and encouraging and strengthening them. And um, all of a sudden they'd be like, wait, you're a pastor? wait, I just told you, you like, you, you love me though. I'm like, yeah, I love you. Like you accept me. Yeah, I accept you. And then they started telling me their story about how they exited the church, how they were excommunicated, how they were rejected, how they were isolated. And um, so it created a healing space, not only for me yeah. um, to minister to people, but for, for them to be received and accepted by someone um, who still loves Jesus and they love Jesus too. So it was it was just a really beautiful space to to have that ministry in the marketplace. I, I do I do think in that transition there was a lot of wrestling with differentiating like the the function of pastor as an expression of who we are and the role we play in the kingdom of God and the role of pastor within like a, with title and with name. 
I mean, I, I think we, that was a season where we both wrestled with that in different ways. And do we want to be identified as that? I mean, we can, we're both continue to be, we're licensed pastors within our denomination. And so that was something that, um, you didn't ever suspend or, or, uh, we were either designated church planters or assisting ministers but, or, yeah. And so in, in that wrestling, cause we, I, we grappled with that in different ways, um, of how we identify. And I know part of, for me in that transition, I think that one of the pieces that was clear for us is, is we, we wanted to un- untether finances from pastoring. Yeah. Um, that part of the real pain in the ministry experiences is, is when you, when you're paid to do a role, just the way that that gets really complicated and the expectations and the loss of um, some ways, the, the, the agility to just listen to the spirit and follow the spirit's promptings because of the expectations that are created around it, the role and job description. So when we ship, when you close the church and then we planted a church that was in day one of going, okay, this is a piece we want to untether. Um, and unless there is some sort of like divine writing in the sky, we would prefer to leave them untethered. Um, in that space. So I think that was a part of the transition. But I think that's a very unique situation for us. Yes. Like, oh, I'm not saying this is the transition everyone should go through it. Right. Just like in our, our, yeah. And then for me, the other piece was in this movement to be a therapist, because my heart has always been to serve the church and to the reason I became a therapist was the recognition that, man, we have a really hard time talking about difficult things and painful things. And I want some skills to be able to engage that. And then going through ministry of going, Oh, that just is on steroids with even pastors and working in that context. Uh, And so I felt the shift to be a therapist, but for me, I had never grown up in a church context where anyone other than a pastor had a voice, voice of influence. And so it created this real tension, this like existential tension within me, where it felt like the thing that I was stepping into was actually going to close the door on the deep longing of my heart to see healing on the church, that becoming a therapist meant shifting out of the only role that I had ever seen having any impact on the church. So part part of that day one transition coming out entered me into a a whole existential, like hands on head pacing house of going, am I surrendering this dream? And And actually that was a part of that transition for me of going, um, yeah, if, if the only thing is I sit in an office that no one knows about and does work that no one ever hears about and it is individual and there's no larger impact and there's no organizational, the, the desire I have to change culture, if none of that gets, gets to happen and I just sit with people in my office, am I okay with that and coming to a spot where I, where I was? And so that felt to me like like I was surrendering like impact in church and pastoring all together and ministry in any sort of acknowledged, vocalized public format altogether. Uh, and that was a big part of that transition out for me in that season. Yeah. I want everybody to like pause and rewind like the last five minutes of what, like that, that is really huge because you're moving from community. A lot of times if you're the speaking guy, or girl, that your your face is on a twenty foot screen. You are known, and in our context, we were known everywhere we went. Uh, and you go from that to isolation, and it really starts to tug on this piece of you that you start to wonder: Do I have any relevance? And and as, as if what I was doing before was relevant, and it was relevant. But we we've equated these two pieces that my life was relevant then, and it's not relevant now. But you can still have relevance. And you can still have what we would say is ministry after ministry. There is ministry at Starbucks. There's ministry in that in the four corners of your office as you're sitting with somebody in their pain. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what are you guys doing now? Yeah. <laughs> what does life look like now after that vocational uh, ministry? Yeah. So I was working at Starbucks, and then covid happened life shut down we had a one-year-old or six-month-old at that point and oh geez i was like well i i always said i'll go back to school when the lord tells me and um just had a lot of time and on my hands obviously and the lord said go back to school and so um last year i graduated and i'm a i'm a provisionally licensed therapist in missouri um so i'm practicing right now uh, part-time and when and like when we came to kansas city which was we moved, had a kid, and then the world shut down. Um, and in that, when we moved, we we thought we came and we're going to try to do oh. something like we had done um, in LA before we left and create an intentional community. And, and we had we had a community that was meeting, we're gathering at our home, and then COVID hit and it stopped it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it allowed us to really assess of going like what 
what actually is the most useful contribution of our skill sets and who God has made us to be? And do we really want to lean back towards leading a community in, in whatever context that looks like? Um, and during COVID, uh, I, I had a, I have a, a private practice in Kansas City. And as you started going back to school, it really allowed some reimagination of going. Um, if, if our deepest desire is to help the church engage in more brave and vulnerable spaces of relationship where healing can be found through suffering and not in the avoidance of it, um, then then there are probably some ways that we can engage just that explicitly. And so that that was a a pretty strong, I guess, orienting time for us to go, okay, let's not play around. Let's let's take a whole bunch of things off the table and go like, what does it look like if we just want to do this? And so for me, that was therapy practice. It was through that, that I started church Welco um, to say, let, let's, let's be explicit about what, what we're after is creating spaces of brave relationship for pastors and church leaders so that we can reimagine our relationship with pain and experience the wholeness and wellness that God has for us, not in avoidance of it and not in the glorification of it, but in the active engagement of it so that we can see God's presence pull us, engage us through that. Uh, And so kind of that's what we're doing. You're, we're both counselors um, in that space. We do um, consulting work with churches who are wanting to try to reimagine um, how how do we wrestle with issues of power and vulnerability and safety, um, like relational, emotional, psychological safety within our community and what within are the, our staff and with our staff. So we do staff mm-hmm. training and development of because mm-hmm. uh, we there's a lot of people want to be close and have deep relationship. I mean, and you guys know this, like, it's just really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of really well-meaning, well-intended active, like churches and staffs and communities who go like, let's, let's be community together. And then we get to a spot that, that feels like a barrier and we don't know how to go through that. And in a lot of places, we just kind of accept that to go, okay, maybe this is the, this is the closeness level that we can engage we don't know how to move past here. It feels profoundly risky to move past here, which, which it is. Um, so we call that like the false bottom of relationship where we kind of feel like we hit the floor, not even realizing there's a whole depth underneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, now we just have the privilege and delight of just helping people get really messy in relationship, um, both clinically in the therapy office and wrestling through that and then engaging um, organizationally uh, with pastors who who want to who want to identify and engage the process of deepening the levels of vulnerability, intimacy, and safety within their context. And so we uh, have a partnership. Pastoral Transitions has a partnership with Church Welco, and we loved you right away. It was love at first sight. And um, one of the things that you do is you pull together groups of pastors. Um, Give me an idea of, for, for those who are listening, whether they are in ministry on their way out or they just found they're they're on day three trying to figure out what's going on um what does that time look like yeah so um i I remember when i became a parent when we became parents um i found myself asking two questions um and the first question was is this this hard for anybody else um because this feels nuts and the second question was am i allowed to talk about it with anybody and if so who and the more different transition point experiences, ministry context, I find pastors ask these same questions. Like pastor, leading in general is hard and have leaders all over the place who are sitting like, is it this hard for everyone else? Am I just incompetent and a failure? Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I need more training. Is it this hard for anyone else? And if it is, are we allowed to talk about it? And, and so what we do at Church Welcome is we create intentional spaces for ministers in shared leadership spaces to engage with each other really around that, those questions. So like senior pastor group, next gen group, uh, assisting ministers, because our contexts carry different, different weights. Mm -hmm. And we want people to go like, no, you like, like the weight of parenting is different than the weight of mentoring and different than the weight of aunt and uncleing. Like there's implications and responsibilities and weight, but it changes in some of the relational context. So getting people together who have a familiarity with that particular kind of weight to say, can, can we talk about this? Uh, and so we do, we do groups of um, six to eight pastors who meet monthly for 90 minutes. Uh, and we, we organize around um, the, the practices of this, we call them the slow practices of Church Welco, of survey, lament, own, and welcome, uh, which are just kind of some, 
some rhythms to give us some handrails into bravery with one another. Uh, and so we run groups for for all sorts of different kinds of pastors. But part of in our partnership is is one of the the shared spaces that we organize around is actually pastors in transition, mm-hmm. uh, because that is just a particular experience. Um, and as you said, a thousand transitions, a thousand stories, and yet some really shared pain. Uh, you talk a lot about the loneliness and isolation that occurs in that spot and who can we talk to? Um, how are we allowed to talk about it? Who are we trying to protect and not talking about it? Who do we need to honor? What does honor mean? Who gets hurt? Like all of the challenges that come in in a transition season. And so we just get pastors together to say, let's talk about it together. Let's practice being brave together. Um, I, I believe that the, the experience of seeing and being seen uh, and of of holding together and of being held by community has some really healing and reparative components in it. Um, and I think that the skills that we develop in doing that with each other are actually often the skills we need as we move into whatever the next season is to also engage deeply in relationship in those seasons. I told you it's great. Isn't it awesome? So good. I love that. Helping people expand their capacity for bravery and honesty and, being real and I love it. And we, we don't yeah. flex those muscles naturally. Um, it's, it doesn't come naturally for whatever reason on a human level. It feels very scary. But once you can get in, you realize that there's, there's something about this and this experience. And this, it's a very human thing in a very AI world, right, to be able to connect on an emotional level. And when you are sitting around a group or a table or even just coffee to be able to say, um, I, I see you. I've felt the same way. And, and that's okay. Um, and I don't have to yeah. fix you in this spot, but I'm going to be with you in it. That's the best you can yep. do. That's awesome. And I, would, I, I tell pastors all the time because I sit with pastors clinically um, who say, oh, man, I, I thought I had a whole bunch of friends and life just got really hard and the amount of loneliness and isolation is profound. Um, and part of what we talk through is um, the trust that is needed to hold heavy things is actually formed separately and distinctly from the trust that's needed to share growth spaces and celebration and delight, which is why when we're, when we're in growth space and we get people together and we laugh together and we have a good time, we grow together and we go to conferences together and we watch each other's ministries expand, that the trust that's built in that space doesn't inherently translate to be a trust that can so hold true. heavy state. Yeah. Which is why we get to those spots. We go, like, man, I got great friends, and then things get heavy, and we go, ooh, but can these friends hold this? And we don't know because the trust that's mm-hmm. needed to hold heavy things can only be formed by holding heavy things. That's how we come to form that trust. And so, what we do at Church Welco is going like, I, I value growth and life and laughter and celebration, but we can have all of that in the world, and it will never answer the question of can these people hold me when life gets heavy. So what we do is we go, we're just going to organize around forming relationships that that grow to be able to hold heavy things because I've never had a friend who I can trust to hold heavy things that I can't also laugh with. Right. So the trust translates back Absolutely. from heavy to delights, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't translate just from joy and celebration to the heavy things. And so for us, we say, if I want, if I want the whole package, then where we get, how we get there is we start by centering relationships where we can cultivate the trust needed to hold the heavy things. I think we're going to have to rewind that part too. I know. I feel like you just like defined so much of our experience, the why be- behind why mm-hmm. it's that aspect of transition is so painful because you think, especially in a church, you think you have community and great community. And why do so few people stick? Why are so few people able to walk with you in those like dark painful places and you like totally just defined why and that and that is the experience that we've seen with a lot of of people coming out of ministry is they they will literally say this that they they say one of two things one i got blindsided and i didn't expect that coming but the it's like the second wave the second death that comes that hits them is i thought that my community would still be here with me and we've kind of defined that as like the Uriah complex. We're like, we're going out. Now we're in battle and you turn around and everybody's still in the ranks behind you and you're standing out there exposed on the field all, all by yourself. And you wonder like, where did everybody go? And why am I sitting out here vulnerable and exposed all by myself? Um, no matter what you've done and how hard that thing is to, to be alone and isolated in the most difficult part of your life is is incredibly 
incredibly hard. And so one of those like phrases that like hit us very early on, hit me early on was that there's friends for seasons, there's friends for reasons, and there's friends for life, um, which is an oversimplification and, and does not say enough about what you just talked about. But we, we do we do need those people that are going to walk with us through the hard things. I think our hearts and souls actually long for those people. Like we <laughs> desperately, desperately deep within us want relationships where we can be completely vulnerable. Like, I mean, that's what our relationship with the Lord ultimately is supposed to be, right? But we work that out right. with other people. And mm-hmm. it's such a desperate feeling when you realize, oh my gosh, like I can't be who I really am. I can't say the things that are really hurting me. I can't be vulnerable and sh- expose like the it's, truth. Of it's really beautiful, beautiful as a, as a counselor that people will go there with me as a counselor, right? They'll go to those deep, that's their, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm, they're paying me to sit right. with them. Right. Um, but it also get, gives them tools. It gives them bravery to actually take that and take it into their real life and go, I can be brave like this too. I've worked through enough that now I can actually enter into spaces with others where they don't need me anymore and they're able to go and create those, those spaces for themselves. And so that's where I feel like our profession, as well as church Welco, it's, there's a a continuity to it, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily a tethered connection. And a a pastor who can do that changes Mm -hmm. the dynamics of his church, he or she, if they are able to go to those places, it creates a vulnerability Mm -hmm. in the church where we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to show up and put a mask on. If he can do it, then he's going to be able to help other people do it too, right? And yes. And one of the, we talk a lot about the cultivation and the development of safety. Like I, I think one, one of the, the concerns I have even as a society in the way, like I love that we are thinking in terms of safety, but one of the risks that we run is to move into categorizing things as safe or as not safe. And, and the reality is like actually nothing is inherently safe or not safe. Safety is cultivated and we co-create it together over time. And we use the metaphor at Church Welco of having a table and part of the question is how much heavy stuff can we put on the table? Which is, I think, from a human standpoint, a deep question that all of us are asking is how much can this relationship hold? How much can my marriage hold? How much can my friendships hold? How much can my church staff hold? Like how much can how much weight can these relationships hold? And a lot of us, because we haven't been taught how to form that and cultivate that in different seasons of life, when we now are carrying weight that we don't know what to do, we just kind of drop that weight on the table and then discover that that table can't hold it and the table just shatters underneath it. And then we just get scared to go like, well, I, may, I don't want to put anything on the table at all again. And part of the invitation, this is what we do in, in <laughs> our pastoral care groups and slow communities with Church Welco, um, is actually learning how do we test the table and develop safety together. We don't have to bring all our biggest things and put it on the table. Actually, that would be unwise. Mm-hmm. We talk about using wise vulnerability where I take a thing and put it on the table and we see how did that hold it? Are we going to keep being brave together? Is my bravery met by your bravery? Okay, then our table gets stronger. Okay, then I'll be brave again and you be brave again. Okay, our table got a little stronger. And we can continue to engage it to a spot where we develop safety within those relational dynamics. But that cultivation and that journey um, isn't something most of us were trained in how to do. And it becomes this like all or nothing. I put it all on the table, table collapses, I pick it all back up, and now I'm getting burned out and alone and isolated. You often say it's not about having safe or unsafe, but safer. Safer. Safer spaces. Are we becoming safer? I know that there's somebody who's just listened to this whole thing and they're feeling raw and exposed. They're longing for these kinds of relationships. They're maybe second guessing uh, the relationships that they do have. I'm just, what, what, what do you say to them? What, what's the, the, just the, the thread of hope that you give them right now in that moment? One, I would say um, it would make sense that you would be pretty discouraged. Um, because the way that relationship and vulnerability has so frequently been misused um, and has resulted in harm when it was meant to result in life and connection um, is, is really grievous. Hmm. Uh, and so for those that would be in a spot of going, yeah, I long for it. And also I don't trust it. I will go, right, you probably shouldn't. This is why we have to test it. And this is why we cultivate it. That um, that to, to walk um, overly hopefully into a spot that says this one is going to be different 
Um, well, we we don't know. And, and I encourage people that actually the starting place of cultivating safety is the capacity to acknowledge that it may not be there. And if we could acknowledge together that actually we aren't safe with each other yet, because I don't know how you're going to receive me and you don't know how I'm going to receive you. And we don't know what's going to happen once the story is shared. And that's an inherently unsafe experience. And if we can have a starting place of saying, we don't have to start from safety. We start from bravery Mm. and we find people who want to be brave with us. And then we slowly take risks, vulnerable risks of bravery with one another. And we talk about how that goes. And so for those that would be, um, have tried it and gotten hurt, um, valid, valid. This is not something that we do well. For those that would be longing for it, I, I would encourage to be cautious. Yeah. Um, that, that the depth of our own vulnerability is not something that everyone has demonstrated the capacity to hold or that they would even know what to do with. And so it isn't wise even in our hopefulness, just to rush into relationships, even where people are saying that, like all the therapists that I train, I want to, I will, I get so frustrated and I will tell them like, do not declare therapy to be a safe space. Like do, do not say this is a safe space because we don't know what makes people safe or not safe. Actually what allows safety to be cultivated is the ability to explore all the reasons why it might not actually be safe and the permission to talk about it is what actually facilitates the development of things becoming safer. Boom, like uh, so, <laughs> so I, yeah, like, uh, so I, my encouragement would be, be kind to yourself. Like there, there are reasons that, that we get hurt in this process because it's really, really risky. Um, go at the pace that you're comfortable going at and find brave people um, to slowly it, dial up bravery with. Yeah. Don't have an emotional one night stand, like just like slowly work your way into spaces. I say emotional one night stand where, you know, you just open up everything and here's, my whole, life heart. Story. here's my whole life story. No, that's actually probably not helpful. Right. And so, lots of regret the next morning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or like, oh, you don't call me again. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, we might have to call yeah. this podcast episode emotional one night stand. We'll see. What? <laughs> probably not. Um, this is this is the reason why um, I like podcasts is because we would have had this conversation. It gave us a platform to have this conversation, which I'm thankful for. Um, but then you've had great conversations with certain people over coffee and you didn't have a microphone. And then you go back to tell your spouse, like, you wouldn't believe it. It was so great. And what? And like, I don't know, but it was great. And and now we've we've got to capture all all of it. And I think there's more to come. And. I'm just thankful. I want everybody to know about you guys and what you're doing at Church Welco. Um, do you have to be in Kansas City to be connected? And if not, then how do people find you and get a hold of you? Yeah, so we, we've chosen right now to center ourselves digitally. And so all of our groups are run online. And, and part of that is, is a big part of isolation for ministers is geography. Um, and we're in the Midwest where you just have a ton of pastors who are dozens of miles away from other pastors or further than that. And so we, we organize everything virtually. So all of our pastoral care groups and slow communities are virtual for those that are in geographical proximity. We love, we love the chance to get people together and sitting in the same, same room. And we think that's amazing. But yeah, all of our groups right now are virtual with pastors across the country yeah, and doing um, missionary work too. So people across the world, mm-hmm. across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. So some groups for missionaries on the field, because the isolation does not stop with the, the exit of the United States, that, that, that is a thing, thing across the board. Yeah. So, uh, www.churchwell.co is the website. Uh, and you can, you can message, contact us through there. If people want to just email me directly looking for a resource, Brian James at churchwell.co, um, is the email address. Uh, anyone who's interested in engaging bravely with some other brave people, I am down to help make those connections and help them find a space because, um, I just think it takes a lot of courage even to show up to say trust isn't established. I have no guarantee of safety, but man, if it is possible to create it, I kind of want to give it a shot. And how do we think through that? Um, So email contact through the website. Um, We can get plugged into groups, do trainings for churches. We got lots of options of how we cultivate bravery uh, with one another. It reminds me, Marilee has one movie that she rents on, on repeat called If I Bought a Zoo. Is that what it's called? Uh, if I bought a zoo, what, no, Matt we Damon, bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. Right. Do you do you guys see that movie? 
And th- yeah. they say this moment, like, all, all you need is to have 15 seconds of incredible bravery. Um, and so sometimes it is just taking that step and saying, I'm willing to put myself out there. And I would say, I love that quote. I would just add, all you need is 50 seconds of bravery that are met by someone else's 15 seconds of bravery. And then you could acknowledge each other in the bravery. That's how we form safety. Ah, so good. Okay. Well, Brian James, Michelle, thank you for being here. Um, we appreciate you. And some of the best barbecue that I've ever had is out there in Kansas City. So I'll come and be brave with you and have some barbecue. Oh, yeah. Very, very soon. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thank Bless you. you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, you bet. Bye. The Life After Ministry podcast is really an outgrowth of the work that we're doing at Pastoral Transitions. We are serving ministry leadership as they care for departing leaders and their families. We call it Kingdom Outplacement, and it's a comprehensive roadmap for navigating ministry terminations and transitions, but doing it with love and grace. Now, overwhelmingly, we are getting a lot more leaders who've come out, who've been fired, who've been released from their positions, and they're still reeling and they're hurting and they're trying to figure out what's next, but they don't have the financial support to get the services that they need to walk that path. So we've started recently a nonprofit arm of what we're doing at Pastoral Transitions to enable people to partner with us in helping ministry leaders transition to what's next. It really feels like uncharted territory for a lot of people when they're leaving their role in ministry. It's not just a career change. It's a shift in everything in your life. We want to invite you, if you have a heart for outgoing leaders and for pastors, maybe they're going back into ministry and maybe God is leading them into something else When you are supporting the work that we're doing at Pastoral Transitions, you're helping to provide personalized support for pastors and their families who are in that season of transition. And we help to foster communities of love and grace and encouragement in these challenging seasons and give them steps to navigate with clarity and confidence. So we invite you to join us. You can go to pastoraltransitions.com and there will be a donate button along the top and you can join us in this We appreciate it. We love these people and we want to be able to care for them now and into their next season for whatever it is that God has for them. Thank you for listening to the Life After Ministry podcast.